play it safe I might play a little dirty someday And I'll follow with faith They say I'm the chosen one What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? My goodness, here we are. It is another Sunday, and boy, oh boy. Tell y'all what, I am excited to be here. This is going to be a fantastic little thing we're doing. You know, I've always had this thing with radio, so to be able to sit down and be able to produce one of these, especially on the fly like this, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of addicting. Something greater, something higher, ain't nothing going to stop this fire. <laughs> Somebody better watch out. I don't know who put me in front of the controls, but I am here to have a good time. So I apologize in advance, so. You know, we are going to call this this podcast the Grass Factor. How original, right? But what I plan on doing with it is diving into some of the more intricate details that uh, I guess maybe not even just intricate details in regards to turf management, but so much of what I do with my job revolves around research, and I really have no real outlet for it. So I thought, why why not do a podcast and just talk about one, what the struggle is like being a startup because there's nothing really all that. Uh, there's not really anything about a startup that is not exciting. The whole part of it is just 100% excitement from beginning to end. So I think that would always be a good thing to share to understand. You know, there may be some people out there that are interested that have an idea and they want to cultivate that idea, and they want to bring it to market, and they don't know how to bring it to market. Well, hopefully, this podcast will share a little bit about how exactly to do that. So y'all stick around, and we're going to cover a lot of these topics. This fire, this fire. Something higher ain't never gonna stop this fire. It's plain reality. I was born to be something greater, something higher. Ain't never gonna stop this fire. All right, all right, all right, all right. Love that intro song. I don't know why I like it so much, but I am glad it's here. So. Anyway, you know, I guess with the first one, what I really wanted to talk about was the beginning of Carbon Earth, right? How did it come about? What what was that like? And how did we go from a concept on a napkin all the way to uh, building a manufacturing facility in rural Kentucky, of all places? So we'll start with that one this week, and uh, we'll see where it kind of evolves over the next couple of weeks. So, truthfully, the story really begins much further than just having an idea, right? So, I think it's important to cover what actually cultivated the idea. And how it began was a visit to the farmer's market. 
Uh, I remember at the time, my wife was pregnant with my daughter, and one of the things we enjoyed doing was going out and walking the farmer's market. It was an outlet for exercise and just to get out and see what was going on in the community. So we made a very good habit of every weekend, every Saturday, going and walking the farmer's market. Well, this one particular time, I came across a booth set up where they were uh, hustling this material in jars, and it had Pro-C on it, and they were touting it as a soil amendment. I said, wow, you know, hey, I'm in turf grass. This is probably the closest thing here to something that would interest me. Let's have a conversation with these guys. And I noticed they were younger, too, and I think that was kind of the appeal because... You know, when you're at the farmer's market, it's not to say there's too many young people there, but these guys were young, so that was exciting. And it was a product in my world, which is also exciting. So I started the conversation with them, and they were explaining paralysis and high carbon and all this crazy stuff. And I was like, wow, that that's awesome. All of those are buzzwords that I like to hear. So um, how do you apply this material <laughs> Because if you've ever dealt with just straight biochar, oh, and by the way, that's what John Borden and uh, and Will had was just straight biochar. And, you know, the, the they really didn't have a whole lot of answers. They were like, I, I don't know. We just have this product that, you know, that it kind of stops there. So, you know, they told me, how about you come down, you check out our operations, see what's going on, and I don't know, you know, maybe maybe you can figure out a way how to put it down. Maybe bring a spreader and we can see how it spreads, all that fun stuff. So I did. I took a visit out there to them and hung out with Will and John Borden and showed me their office. And it was really neat, the company they worked for, because everybody was so young there. It was full of young professionals, lots of engineers, lots of just cool things that were going on that I'd never been exposed to before having been in lawn care and landscaping for my career. So we, we talked a lot. We toured the place. Uh, I got to understand a little bit more about the product, its advantages, its disadvantages. I got to see a lot of their trials that they were running, the different trees they'd planted and went ahead and made the decision. They kind of approached me about like, well, is there some place you would like to try this that, um, you know, we could help you with. So I had just started at Hardin Valley's, uh, Hardin Valley High School's football field. And I said, I think, I think, I don't know for certain, but I think we can apply this material there on their field. And they were like, great. Okay. If the coach can pay for it. Awesome. If not, don't worry about it. So I talked to the coach. The coach was like, what is this going to do? And I'm like, frankly, I have no idea. And he was like, okay, well go ahead and do it, but I'd rather not pay for it. So that was kind of the deal. They donated the material. We brought it out. I brought my tractor. I brought my top dresser. And we went to town. And let me tell you, it took all of 15 seconds to realize how much trouble we were in when we were trying to spread it. First, the material was so light. It was so light that when I flipped the gate open on the top dresser, nothing was coming out of the back. And that that really shocked me. I mean, because this is a full-size um, uh, three-cubic-yard hopper designed to spread sand on uh, athletic fields or golf greens or whatever the case may be. And it, nothing could come out. It had dual impellers. And I'm like, man, something something's happened. Like, I've got a plug in here and start fumbling around. And 
No, the material was just so light, the belt could not pull it to uh, the exit so it could actually hit the impellers and spread. So, quick thinking and trying to figure out how to handle it, I went ahead and I jumped up on the back of the machine and started shoveling material towards the chute, and we could get it to consistently flow that way. So, I told John Borden, uh, you know, can you drive a tractor? This tractor is uh, it's a manual, but it's a tractor nonetheless. And he said, yeah, I can get it. So, he hopped behind the driver's seat, and I hopped into the hopper and shoveled all the material towards the exit, and we spread it over the field. And it was a nightmare, let me tell you. It was We were disgusting. We were, we were painted black, and it painted the field black. And the coach came down and saw it, and he was mortified at what we had done because everything was so black. He was absolutely mortified. And he was trying so hard to keep his composure, but I could see how mad he was. He was vibrating. Coach started coming to me, and I knew we were in big trouble. <laughs> it, we were. We were in really big trouble. And the first thing out of his mouth is, we have a game coming up this weekend, and we are going to be wearing white jerseys. And if we ruin those jerseys, we are going to be paying for them. And there's no other way around it. We will have to pay for those jerseys. And so immediately, I was like, yeah, no no problem. Yeah, of course, we'd pay for the jerseys, but I am freaking out. I don't don't think any of us uh, was prepared to pay for those jerseys. And I said, listen, coach, really, the only thing you need to do is you need to, you need to water. And then after you water, mow it, and you'll be good to go. That's all it needs. It needs a little water and a, and a mow, and you'll you'll have no idea it's there. And I said, okay, I'm going to go get some lunch. Call me if you have any problems. So I, I didn't hear anything for a little bit, and finally Coach called me back, and he said, Matt, I need you to get up here right now. And when he said that, the amount of fear I was feeling right then was was over the top. It was the anxiety level. I cannot begin to describe how brutal the anxiety was. I, for a moment, considered turning around and, and going home and never talking to him again. But, I, you know, I thought better of it, and I said, well, just go go get your ass kicking, and let's see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? So I did. I head off, and as I got to the entrance, I could see a bunch of uh, khaki pants and, and uh, long sleeve shirts and ties standing at the 50-yard line. And I could see the coach on the mower. Um, I could not see black on the field. So that at least gave me a sense of hope. And I was going to throw up. So I drove around to the back and got out, started walking towards the entrance of the field. I crossed through the entrance, and I was met with one of the assistants, Mitch. And Mitch was, had he had a shit-eating grin on his face, and there's no other way to describe the look on his face other than shit-eating. He's with a smile and, and a head shake, and it was a, it was a subtle no. He was shaking his head. 
And it was one that was either saying, you are the luckiest son of a bitch on earth, or he was saying, you are the dumbest son of a bitch on earth. And at the time, I can go ahead and admit, there's nobody on earth that felt as stupid as I did in that moment. So I continued to walk through the entrance towards the 50-yard line where everybody was standing. And the coach saw me, and he started driving over there with the with the reel mower. And this is a big, you know, um, uh, five-reel uh, John Deere mower. Actually, I think it was a six-reel John Deere mower. This thing is – it was five-reel. It was five-reel. This thing is big. And I see him as he begins to come into view with more detail. His face is the color of charcoal. And he's wearing sunglasses, and he pulls his sunglasses off, and I can see the whites of his eyes. And he smiled, and I could see nothing but white teeth, and I could not control. The amount of emotional stress I was under was, it was easily some of the worst I've ever experienced. And Seeing that in that moment, I did not know how else to react to it other than to burst out laughing. And so that's exactly what I did. I burst out laughing. And I continue to walk up to him, and he goes, Well, damn it, Matt, I don't know how, but I think it worked. And I felt an overwhelming sense of relief, but I had to test it. So I, I took off running, and I jumped, and I slid head first across the ground and I got up and I, I looked at the shirt I was wearing. I was wearing my work uniform, which is like a khaki color. And sure enough, there was no, there was no black on it. There was, there was nothing on it. It was just, just grass remnants. And I turned and I looked at coach and he smiled and gave me the thumbs up. The athletic director was standing next to him. He shook his head. No, <laughs> And he began to walk off back towards the school. And I walked back over to the coach, and he was like, well, I guess now at this point we just see what happens. And so that was exactly how it started. You know, of that, we were able to, we were able to capture soil samples prior to application, and then we were able to capture them after application. And specifically, because there is no real nutritive value to biochar, uh, what John wanted to understand was what were the effects on uh, the microbiology levels in the soil, so uh, fungi and bacteria levels. And what was interesting was that it was a significant increase, significant increase, thousand percent increase in both within just two weeks after application. So we knew that the presence of biochar, when applied at that rate to the soil, which we ended up getting it down around 10 pounds a thousand. And at the time, you know, Miramichi had released their product and we saw where they were recommending, you know, 50 to a hundred pounds per thousand square feet. Well, in my experience in turf grass, that rate is not always applicable outside of sports turf. So golf and whatnot that has the budget to be able to do that, sure, yeah, they've got no problem. They'll put it down 50, 100 pounds, 1,000. However, you take that to a lawn care guy, and it's just a totally different concept because 
the cost, you know, if you think about like, even if it costs you $20 a bag and you're putting down two bags per thousand square feet, you know, that's $40 a thousand. That's, you know, $1,600 an acre. And these guys are just not going to pay that. Nobody could, nobody could make a living doing that on that kind of product price. So, you know, that, that was really the beginning of me thinking that, okay, I like the biochar. I like, uh, what it did in terms of stimulating the microbiology. Um, and again, this is, this is really early, you know, and, and with that, um, we were actually able to cut down on irrigation. Um, we were, we noticed minimized, um, localized dry spot on the, on the field. And time goes on and, you know, you make an application of fertilizer and you would typically, we would, we'd be on it every, every month or so and apply. Oh, I think the, the first thing I applied immediately after that was, uh, was a triple 18 that, uh, that came from, from site one and, it was all quick release. There was nothing else in it. Just triple 18. I put it down and wow, at at four weeks, I mean, it was amazing. The amount of one, uh, the uh, turf quality we had two, um, how long it seemed to last, uh, you know, because if I was running like, you know, just urea or something, um, you know, typically urea by the end of that second week, I was really starting to peter out. So here we are at four weeks, and now, granted, there's more in this pro- in the fertilizer I used, a triple eighteen, but still, yeah, I was fully expecting to get about a two week pop out of it and be done. But here we are at four weeks, and we're still pushing really, really hard. And so I ended up letting it go to six weeks before I made my next application, which I think was a twenty o ten, something like that. And for the same thing, we noticed that it would just continue to produce color for a long period of time. So now that we had the data set on turf and they had been doing all the, uh, all the stuff for, um, uh, for agriculture and trees and soil remediation, they had all kinds of different things they were working on, but at least I had seen firsthand a single test of what would happen with this product that, you know, I told John, I said, listen, if you could ever get this into a form that would be uh, manageable, like in a prill, then you'd really have something. But until then, until it can be packaged in 50-pound bags and look and smell and feel like a traditional fertilizer, then it's always going to be difficult to find people to want to use this, myself included. Because it's not easy for me to bring, you know, a 45-horsepower tractor to... Um, to a, a residential lawn that that may need you know an acre of material spread, or even you know we'll say fifteen thousand square feet. Imagine trying to do fifteen thousand square feet of a product with a with a wheelbarrow. It just it's doable. It is definitely doable. It's just not enjoyable. So for the next. You know, John and I talked off and on about it, and he said he would figure it out, and we kind of left it at that, and we didn't talk maybe for another another two years or so after that. Until one day, John came to me, and he said, Matt, I think I've got it. I said, I think you got what? And he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you an analysis and look at it, and then let's meet up and let me show you the product. And so he sent me the analysis, and it was a three, two, three, 
loaded with miners. And I was like, this is, this is great. Is this biochar? And so then he sent me the, the, the test of, you know, how much fixed carbon was in it. And I could see, um, you know, it was over, you know, a, a, a high percentage of fixed carbon. And so I was like, wow, there's, there's biochar in this product and a, a good percentage of it too. I was like, man, how did you do this? And he's like, well, hang on, let me come look at the product first. So we met up and he had, he had this bag in his hand and in this bag were these prills and I opened it up and the first thing that hit me was an overwhelming uh, scent of uh, poultry manure and I wasn't sure it was poultry manure at the time. I just knew the scent was over the top and I was like, man, what is this? My goodness. And so he explained you what he did. And, you know, they were putting it into chicken houses, letting it spend eight weeks there, pulling it out, letting it rest for a certain period of time. And then he took that material and he went to a company that specializes in rolling granules for other people. And they rolled these prills. And he was like, you know, based on what you see here, what do you think about this? And I said, this is so exciting. One, because poultry manure, you, you can ask basically any row farmer, any row cropper out there that has to deal with poor soils. Um, I'm going to reference my buddy uh, Chris, uh, Chris Elms and uh, the, corn, the Corn Wars that he turned me on to. It's a little YouTube show. It was not just on YouTube, but it is featured on YouTube, Corn Wars. Yeah, Randy Dowdy, one of the guys who's a high-yield 300 to 400 bushel per acre farmer, he says his uh, secret weapon is poultry manure. So I, I just I was so excited about the co- combination of both both of those worlds, right, and how it actually was able to turn into a prill. It was a little low in bulk density, so it would spread. It would spread fine, but being lower bulk density – you may not get the same distance out of your out of your pattern that you would say with urea, which would be like fifty pounds a cubic foot or forty nine pounds a cubic foot, versus this product, which would be about thirty five pounds a cubic foot. And it didn't have all the binders and fillers in it that it typically does when it, when poultry manure comes in pelletized form, uh, because they're able to densify that material through extrusion. They put them into these presses and compress it extremely aggressively. We didn't have that because the biochar took up so much of that uh, compressible space in the prill, so the bulk density was just lower. So based on the analysis and based on the composition of it, I said, John, this is perfect. Well, it's not perfect, but this is really close. So I asked him to explain the method of granulation that they used. And so I began to look at that equipment and said, all right, let's do this again. But instead of using just poultry manure and biochar, let's add ammonium sulfate. Let's add some potassium. Let's add some additional iron. Because the poultry manure already has micronutrients in it, but I really wanted to bolster up that iron number, right? And he said, okay, let's go do it. So um, it, it costs a little bit of money. It costs us about $5,000, but we were able to get together all the raw materials. We sent them up, and we ran it, and it produced another beautiful fertilizer prill. And I mean, does it, you have... 
I, I cannot express the level of excitement we were we we were feeling. We knew we had something. And we could not wait to get it down on the ground and watch what would happen. So we made about 2,000 pounds of material, and we started getting it down on the ground immediately and watching what it would do. And it was just incredible. We were so excited about the results we were seeing. You know, even at reduced rates, we were still getting comparable rates of uh, of, of 33 to 50% higher rates of conventional fertilizer. We were equaling that with, with, with less material, less inputs. And, and so we, we, we couldn't believe it. And so, again, I started looking at the manufacturing of, of these granules, and I, I noticed there were some things where, you know, we could, do, we could do some different things with it. And so one of those was, you know, infusion of some of the things. Uh, of, of, of different materials. So for instance, at the time I was using a biostimulant, I was using RGS from, from Green County Fertilizer. And, and so I talked to Perry about it and we decided we were going to infuse the RGS into the product. And, and we did, and it worked and it produced this beautiful little prill. And so it was then and there, we decided we were going to start a new, a new business. We were going to start a new business and we were going to start a business making this fertilizer. So John and I, we sat down at the Fieldhouse Social here in Knoxville and on a napkin, I, I had no idea where to start. And already John had drawn up this really, really intricate spreadsheet. This is John Borden. And this spreadsheet covered everything, everything. I mean, budgeting all the way down to how much paper we were going to use in a month. And... And so some of the things he needed from me, like some just basic information, like one of them, he was like, okay, how much do you think we can sell? And I was like, I don't know. And, and so we kind of ran some possibilities on, on a napkin of what, of what we would expect to sell year number one. And then potentially what that would look like year number two, and then use that to dictate what size equipment we would need. And, uh, and we kind of left it at that. And so John plugged it into the spreadsheet and he sent it to me at about midnight that night. And, and he called and we went, we went through it and all the other miscellaneous things of insurance and whatnot. We went ahead and we attached a budgetary number to it. And, and right then and there, we came up with how much it would cost to build a manufacturing facility that could manufacture what at the time wasn't named, but became Carbon X. Actually, at this time, it was actually manufacturing the product we knew as X Green, the 818 with 4% iron. So from there, you know, I, I, I guess I, guess I kind of want to end it there because that was, that was the story of the conception of, of, you know, X Green, which X Green was actually the first product we developed, and this was long before Carbon X was even considered. Because, you know, this is this is October of wow, my goodness, it's been almost two years ago that John and I sat down and got this figured out. But so this was October of 2017 when we were sitting at Fieldhouse Social on a very, very, very rainy day, uh, and, you know, putting this down on a napkin, right? And so, and then it was the day after that. Um, you know, he sent it to me in the spreadsheet that we started working on. And then all of a sudden we had a full business plan 
uh, at least a financial model of what the the business would look like. And, and you know, as as we move through this, I'm going to cover a lot of things about what it was like to look for money because I'll tell you right now, as a startup, there is nothing, nothing, nothing fun about looking for money. But as with any startup, that is definitely the most important part of it is picking the right partner to build your dream because ultimately that is what the purpose of a startup is building your dream so everybody thank you for tuning in i truly appreciate it on this first episode here of the grass factor the podcast all right everyone y'all have a good one and tune in next week when we talk about what it's like to look for the money to finance your dreams. They told me I was never getting by, but those words couldn't take to heart. I knew the day would come, be the chosen one. Yeah. I never had a safe place to hide. I run through the end of the tunnel to find a train or a shining sun to be the chosen one. Ain't nothing gonna stop this Ain't nothing gonna stop this fire